0: Welcome to the Pactum. I'm Pat Abendroth with Mike Grimes, episode 131. How you doing over there, Mike?
1: Doing all right. Episode 131. Ready yes, for it. Yes, we are ready for it. How about reading
0: a couple of reviews first? Yeah,
1: check out these reviews we've received from PACTUMVERSE listeners. We're thankful for these reviews, and we'd encourage you to stop by, leave us a review, leave us some comments. Uh, this one says, it's my favorite podcast. comes Whoa. from Hunter Hansen 5. Nice. says, there are many wonderful Christian podcasts that discuss theology and ministry, but this one is the best in my opinion. We like Hunter Hansen 5 opinion. These Indeed. podcast episodes are very engaging, humorous, and full of sound doctrine. I highly recommend this podcast to all. Thank you so much for your kind words. And this one comes from Jacob D. Oswald. Ooh, D-dog. Oh, D-Dog. Yes, we know Jacob D. Oswald. Edifying in numerous ways, it says, Mike and Pat do a great job of discussing important topics, while at the same time, having fun with it. If you're looking for a podcast that promotes classical covenant theology, look no further. Thanks, Jacob. Appreciate that. Appreciate and, it very uh, much. if you've
0: not written one... Uh-huh. Write one for yeah. us, would you? Yeah. Not Tell only me. that, even if you have done five stars, I've been told you can do it again. You can, for real? Counts. I'm not sure, but I've been told that.
1: So daily reminder in your calendars, everybody. <laughs> That's <instead> right. Of, <laughs> five so stars so of
0: speaking of reviews, um, the other day I went to McDonald's, which, you know. You did? Uh-huh. Like once, you strike me as the guy who's never eaten McDonald's usually in Usually it's when I'm out of the country. I like right? to eat at That's McDonald's fun. in other countries. Done that, That's yep. a lot of fun. So I went to McDonald's and uh, it's, you know, ordered at the kiosk. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, so I got a... I wanted a not a triple burger. I wanted four meats, okay. so kind of like a four by four right, in and out right. burger. But i was just waiting to pick up my kid. I need to or my son. So I went and so I punched in the four meats. I don't want four cheeses, four meats. I don't want onions. I wanted you know extra mustard, extra ketchup, extra pickle. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, pretty straightforward, pretty, pretty straightforward. simple. Yep. Four and patties a, and a, and a yeah. large soda, large diet coke. And the guy comes out and he probably not English as his first language. Uh, And he's having a real hard time. And he's explaining to me that, you know, extra meat is only three patties, not four. And I said, well, I want four. I'm using my fingers. I want four four patties. No, 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 no. Extra meat is only three and he's using his fingers. And uh, we just went back and forth. And I said, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was weird. And I said, I paid for four patties. Oh, then then maybe. And then I could hear him back in the kitchen at the McDonald's. And he's like having to explain to everybody that I wanted four patties. And then it was the funniest thing. He came out laughing. Moral of the story, folks, is I, I wanted to give him a bad review, but you know what? I'm trying to be kind, <laughs> trying to be gracious. So, so did you get four patties? I did. You did. You got it. I did. How stinking hard is it? <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway, it's like when I go to Jimmy John's and get a sandwich, I always say, oh, I would like a number four with some changes because I, I don't like <laughs> a ma- male. Yeah. So and then, when I say that, I'd like a number four with some changes. I want to give him a heads up. <laughs> yep, and right. they say, oh, do you want cheese on that? <laughs> No, I don't want I don't cheese want on cheese. that. Stop asking me
1: that every uh, single every time. time. Because, you know why? Because it costs more to get cheese. May Oh, maybe that's it's it. A, that's an added cost I need there.
0: a number four, no mayo, extra turkey, extra. peppers times two. Times two. Right? With sauce and oregano. So oh, man. So if you'd like to send me a sandwich, you can do that. I just am shocked you went to McDonald's. It was kind of fun, actually. I, you know, I, I felt like it was like alternate, you know, alternate universe. I'm not or gonna
1: lie, I love McDonald's. It tasted really good. I'm telling you, they've got something they inject into their food that makes you want it more and more. Or something. I think there's there's like sugar in it somewhere. I, they're hiding stuff. It might give you the McGurgles. I don't even care. I love it. I'm just gonna be honest, <laughs> but I haven't been for a while, so now I'm gonna have to go to McDonald's. <laughs> it actually was not that many calories because you know if, if you, you just... don't get all the extra stuff, if it's just the meat and yep. yeah, that's funny. Well hey, because it is summertime and we love summertime here on the Pactum. Indeed. We are doing some summertime specials. Summertime, summertime, some sum, summertime, 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 some sum, summertime, 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 some sum, summertime, 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 sum, summertime, summertime. And on today's summertime special, we are running the episode, the OG, on Biblicism.
0: That's episode one. That is our We're going to run first. the first episode on biblicism today because because it's our very first episode. Yes. Not only that, um, it's still wrong. It's still a thing. Biblicism still is a still a thing, <laughs> and biblicism is still it's still wrong. <laughs> it's very wrong. Yeah and not only that we maybe think you might find it interesting that perhaps we've either gotten better or <laughs> worse at podcasting so with that uh, don't be a biblicist uh, and enjoy your summer and enjoy this special rerun episode of the Pactum. Summertime, summertime, some summertime, 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 some summertime,
1: summertime, summertime, some summertime, 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 some If you've ever wondered what Charles Ryrie, anti-Trinitarians, and the Church of Christ have in common, you're listening to the right podcast. And well, if you've never wondered such a thing, you still may be listening to the right podcast, because today we're going to be talking about Biblicism, Biblicism that is alive and well in evangelicalism. Hey everyone, this is Mike Grimes here with Pat Avendroth. Pat, you ready to talk about biblicism today? You awake I am. And ready? I'm on the
0: edge of my seat ready, two cups of coffee ready. I'm ready to talk about biblicism so we can get rid of it in evangelicalism.
1: <laughs> that's good. That's our goal today. We're going to rid evangelicalism of biblicism. Indeed. So, amen. A tall order. But how about you start with, uh, what? what is biblic- biblicism? It's something that's hard to say <laughs> in the it's morning
0: right. is what I think it is. Uh, biblicism is used in a couple of different ways. Uh, one in a way we would welcome, and that is by unbelievers or who people who don't believe the Bible is true. They oftentimes, uh, label people like us, biblicists. Hmm. And so in that sense, I would welcome it. Uh, even if you look it up, if you Google it, it might say someone who takes the Bible literally. And as long as you can qualify what that means, we would say, Oh, that's us. Right. We take the Bible at face value. It's true. It's uh, historical record. is true. So biblicism in that sense, all Christians would welcome. Right, right. But there is another sense that evangelicals use it, and it's more of a a self-designation. We call ourselves biblicists. We say, well, I'm a biblicist. I'm not a, you fill in the blank. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not an Arminian. I'm a biblicist. Uh, Funny enough, one church in town's website used to say, we're neither Calvinists nor Armenians. (laughs) (laughs) So we were glad to find out they're not racist against people from Armenia. (laughs) But, oh, those pesky uh, words are, uh, what are they called? Um, Spell checkers. Yeah. So anyway, so in that sense, people use the label um, quite often uh, as a way of saying, I take the Bible, uh, I'm a purist. Uh, I interpret the Bible from scratch. Gotcha. I'm not going to rely upon history. I'm not going to rely upon other people. Uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to be pure about it. I am a biblicist and it sounds pure, um, but uh, it may
1: not be pure. So they're almost, they're trying to avoid some theological systems being labeled with them, identifying with them. You know what? Don't call me those things. I subscribe to the Bible and its teachings and that only.
0: That's a great way to put it. I think that I would offer four characteristics um, that would fit with what you just said. Uh, First of all, it tends to downplay history uh, and with that doctrinal development. Hmm. So systems, which you were referring to. So that's the first one, downplay history and doctrinal development. And by that, I mean uh, over time, through debates, through blood, sweat, and tears, uh, we, we come to certain conclusions. Uh, a second characteristic of biblicism would be that it frowns upon theological labels. Oftentimes, if you can't find it in a Bible word search, a biblicist would say that's not true because it's not in the Bible. Sure. Uh, even if uh, all of the elements are in the Bible and we use a label like Trinity, uh, a true biblicist would reject the Trinity uh, for that reason. Thankfully, most biblicists right. I know don't. Right. Uh, another characteristic, number three on my list, would be that biblicism uh, tends to be novel. Uh, mm. And by that I mean um, idiosyncratic. Um, it doesn't fit with the system. It's their own system. And so, again, people might see that as a good thing. Uh, I hope they don't necessarily see it as a good thing. A final characteristic would be biblicist. Uh, sometimes people use the, the label biblicist for themselves when they're caught in an inconsistency. Mm. So if a couple of of their theological conclusions don't match uh, it kind of can be an opportunity to say well you know I, I yes I, I'm a biblicist uh, and so it's a way of kind of getting out of being in trouble
1: sure yeah do you think some people are identifying themselves as a biblicist because maybe they don't know any better or it comes from a right place um, or maybe they just don't know history and they don't know the issues that have already been dealt with and worked through. And, you know, they're, they're coming from a right place, identifying themselves that way.
0: It's important that we acknowledge that. And I'm glad that you're doing that because I think oftentimes people who use the label, they, they really do mean well. And maybe they've heard the label somewhere from a Bible teacher. Yeah. And so they, they grab onto that and hold on to it. And I'm not trying to call people dumb, um, but we're all... No one knows everything, right? And so yeah. we're learning things. And when we pay attention to doctrinal development, let's say and theological history or historical theology, I should say, we find out that there's a lot of water under the bridge yeah. and a lot of debates have already happened. And if we're ignorant of them, we might be uh,
1: prone to biblicism or using that label. Yeah. I wonder, And too, I think about the culture now where it's, you know, my truth and me and what I think and believe. And Biblicism seems to have that kind of appeal, even for people nowadays of, you know, it doesn't matter what they think or their kind of understanding and system. Here's what I think and what I understand. So I could see Biblicism becoming kind of even a, a big problem again for us in the church. Um, where, where does Biblicism come from as we Think about it. Is there you know, some kind of historical past we can look at and say, hey, there's an identifiable marker of when biblicism kind of came on the scene, or do we know where it comes from? Other than the pit of hell, <laughs> uh, I think
0: we can talk about biblicism. Maybe, first of all, let's consider the fact that it, it's given to us as evangelicals from the hands of... The Stone-Campbell movement, and even if people aren't familiar with that, they are familiar with the Christian churches or the churches of Christ. Uh, Those churches came as a result of the Stone-Campbell movement, and they are a result of their leaders saying, Christianity is bankrupt, it's corrupt, it's perverse, we need a do-over, we're going to start over over from scratch. And so uh, they're the ones that give us the phrases, no creed but Christ— uh, or another one uh, that's not as familiar, but the theology of it is, call Bible things by Bible names, mm. so they don't like, uh, again, theological shorthand, right. labels. So we say no creed but Christ in evangelicalism, yeah. but we probably don't realize where it comes from. Yeah, uh, They say, actually, if you look, if you Google it, it's no creed but Christ, no book but the Bible, no law but love, no name but the divine we've really latched onto the first part of that or maybe the first and second no creed but christ no book but the bible and then that second slogan call bible things by bible names that's that's biblicism yeah uh, and and we sound like churches of christ thankfully our theology isn't the same but it's kind of strange that we sound just like them
1: any other examples of where Biblicism might come from then? So we've got the Stone Campbell movement, uh, Christian churches, churches of Christ. Any other examples of where it may come from?
0: I think a great one uh, in a bad sense and a good sense because we can learn from it, but our listeners can, all, can identify with it. And that would be the debate between Arius and Athanasius. Oh, yeah. And so if we go way back early church and we think of Arius who believed that Jesus was not divine – uh, he was a heretic. He said that Jesus, uh, in essence, was was God's greatest created being, but he was created. And so he didn't believe in the eternality of the son, the second person of the Trinity. That's Arianism. Today we have it in Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm. So it is alive and well, unfortunately. But Athanasius opposed Arius. Athanasius, where we get the Athanasian Creed. Uh, Athanasius was the one who stood for the truth that Jesus is... Um, the divine son, the eternal one. And in that debate, Arius is the biblicist, if you will. The hmm. heretic is the biblicist. Sure, yeah. And he insisted on only using Bible verses in the debates, which might sound good and sound pious. And people thought he sounded good and sounded pious. Unfortunately, it was Athanasius who, in order to smoke out Arius and his heresy, uh, used extra biblical labels, extra biblical categories to figure out just where Arius was erring, if you will. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times we don't think of that, but he, he, he did that and was accused by, uh, excuse me, Athanasius was considered the bad guy because he was adding to the Bible, mm. even though he wasn't really adding to the Bible, but right. for the sake of debate and understanding... He introduced uh, extra biblical categories. Sure.
1: Any kind of, you know, more modern examples of biblicism, maybe something, uh, this is a leading question here, anything kind of that people in our circles or our listeners may be familiar with that's kind of associated with biblicism, but maybe not wanting to be called that?
0: You just want me to say dispensationalism. I, I know. Do. Uh, I can tell you're not in a good mood. <laughs> so <laughs> you haven't had as much coffee as I have. Not one cup yet so today. I was just listening to a lecture this morning that was talking about Seventh-day Adventists and E. G. White, Ellen White didn't want them drinking coffee because it promotes gossip. Oh, no. So if I break out in a whole lot of gossip during the podcast today, it's because I have had two cups of had coffee too much. So there is that we'll have to do a podcast just on that topic sometime. Yeah. Dispensationalism is riddled uh, with biblicism. Uh, It is a kind of system that's founded on biblicism, if you will, Mm. starting with Chafer, moving to John Walvoord, all the way to Charles Ryrie and beyond. So with Chafer from the very beginning, wanting to purposely ignore history. Mm. and purposely ignore all creeds and confessions and start over with his Bible, which sounds good and right, and do word studies, uh, they just keep stepping in it again and again and again, meaning an error, right. and it just doesn't need to be done. Uh, right. We can learn from other people who've gone before us. Right. Yeah. So since I theologically grew up swimming in that pond,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I was always uh, under the impression that Biblicism was a good thing. Yep. And then you start reading a little bit broader uh, in evangelicalism, but you're reading Reformed theologians, Reformed theology, uh, other Protestants, and they don't they don't use Biblicism in a positive sense. Right, yeah. And here all along, I thought it was actually a good thing. Yeah. Uh, when in fact, it's kind of an embarrassing thing.
1: Yeah. I came from the same kind of place, you know, where that's, it wasn't a, a taught thing like, hey, we don't look at other sources, but just growing up, that's what you thought was it's only the Bible, that's all we need. Let's look there and let's not worry about other stuff. And so I was right there, uh, but so thankful to see that creeds and confessions and history and the history of theological arguments and you know, defining doctrines and making sure that we understand them the way scripture teaches them and the way Christians have understood them, that's important. And it's good and it's helpful. So I think we're kind of moving into the next section here, but what is the problem with Biblicism? Why is it problematic that uh, those dispensationalists uh, would say, you know what, we're going to kind of set all those things aside and we're going to be about what the Bible teaches only and forget history, we to forget all that stuff. Why is that a problem?
0: It's a problem for different reasons. One reason would be because it ignores the work of the Holy Spirit and how he's been working throughout history, Yeah, which no Christian would want to do. no. But if you stop and think about it, uh, we're not the first Christians. We're not the first people with the Holy Spirit. And if God has been working and all Christians believe he has been, well, let's try to observe how he has been working and how has the spirit been leading his people. So we have the faith that's once and for all delivered according to Jude. But there's been a lot of debate about what different things mean. So how has God, the spirit led his church Throughout time. And Biblicism, in effect, says we don't care. Uh, We're going to start over. Uh, We can call it chronological snobbery. (laughs) We can call it arrogance. Um, But that's one of the reasons why Biblicism is so problematic. And Christians, all Christians know we're supposed to be humble. Mm -hmm. But it looks rather prideful to say, I'm just going to start over. It's just me and Jesus and my Bible. And I don't need anybody else. Yeah. Maybe another uh, reason it's problematic is because it's typically falling into the habit of repeating old heresies. Hmm. So again, water under the bridge. Why do we have to keep, as I said earlier, kind of tongue in cheek stepping in it? Uh, We don't need to. We don't need to keep talking about how Jesus emptied himself in Philippians chapter two. And that means he set aside his divine attributes or of all but love or something like that. we we can learn from those who've gone before us that you'd better be careful at how you explain that. Right. Or you're going to be a heretic because if Jesus gets a sets aside divine attributes, uh, any or all of them or most of them, uh, that would be him not being God anymore. And that would be a heresy. Well, I can say what I just did with a a degree of confidence because I'm standing on the shoulders of giants as the saying goes, I've learned from those who've gone before me and I'm, just being more careful and thoughtful. Yeah. And
1: so I don't have to be a heretic. Yeah. You know, that's interesting, being be more careful, more thoughtful. If you read uh, Old get, old Dead Guys, as we say sometimes, or if you look through the creeds, and the confessions, they're very careful and marked with what they're saying, the way they're saying it, because they want to rightly divide the word of truth. They don't want to advocate for something the Bible isn't teaching. And I, I think, you know, a lot of These people that are trying to look just to the Bible and ignore history, unfortunately, they're not being careful, and it's just, here's what I think it says, and that sounds good, and that seems right, and that feels right, so I'm going to go with that, but it would behoove us to be careful to think through these things, to choose our words wisely so as we don't. Step in it again to not be heretics. Indeed, it would behoove us. It would, that's, that's, I, that the, came that's gonna, out of nowhere. To be the word for the day. I didn't even use coffee to get there. It <laughs> just happens. It would indeed behoove us not <laughs> to step in it again. Well, I'll probably never say that word again in my life. But there was. I agree. And th-
0: another problem with biblicism would be is it really does promote a kind of cultic uh, environment. So and we could mean that in a super bad sense uh we think of the cults yeah we can we can be one syllable away from being a heretic sure but it also is cultic in a in a personality cult kind of sense mm-hmm. so if i have a strong charismatic personality i can promote certain teachings that are ah historical even not very biblical and i'll get a following and the bad news is then everybody has to keep changing their theology as I change mine right. down my path and, um, you know, down my adventure through the life of being a biblicist. Yeah. And there are examples of that. We see it today. We've seen it throughout history. Uh, I would love to someday when I'm not no longer pastoring at Omaha Bible Church, have the next pastor come along and be able to teach the same things I've taught. Sure. Yep. And the next generation and the next generation and the next generation but where biblicism reigns everybody has to keep getting on board again yeah. and following the cult leader and they say, "Well, no, we're just following the Bible." Well, then why does you, why does your theology keep changing when your leader keeps changing? So, we're all for good change and spiritual maturity but we don't have to keep
1: having personality cults, which Biblicism promotes. Right. Is there a final problem? I think uh, you mentioned earlier talking about the Trinity, how, you know, even Biblicists wouldn't be denying the Trinity. Uh, It seems that Biblicism might have a problem kind of capturing biblical doctrines or being able to actually explain and, define a biblical doctrine is that yeah
0: yeah absolutely it goes back to that stone campbell thing call bible things bible names sure whereas most christians throughout history have not always called bible things bible names Mm. because the bible's a big book and there's a lot of data and it's all true but how do we uh how do we capture the big idea in a way that can kind of bring everybody up to speed. Right. So Trinity is the classic, wonderful example. Uh, Everyone who affirms the doctrine of the Trinity uh, denies Biblicism. Yeah. And so we're thankful for that. But we're trying to say, hey, look, it's okay to use other labels to capture big ideas, not just Trinity. And so other examples of that would be, let's say, the covenant of redemption. Hmm. So if you do a search in your Bible, again, covenant of redemption, nothing will show up. Right. But we use that as a label, theological shorthand, because we're not biblicists, to capture the, the data and the ideas of the fact that the Father uh, covenants with the Son. Uh, there's a formal agreement before the foundation of the world that the Son would go into the world and he would redeem the elect, uh, those given to him by his Father. And upon success, he would be highly exalted. Well, we call that the covenant of redemption. We also could look at text. Well, this is Ephesians 1. Yeah. And it's John 17, and the Spirit is involved in applying the work as well. So it's the the intra-Trinitarian covenant of redemption. And maybe a baby Christian has never heard of such a thing. Sure, yeah. But that's why we have teachers. So... Biblicists don't like things like that. Maybe they've never heard of it or it weirds them out or something. I don't know. But the data is in the Bible. We're using the label because we're not biblicists to capture the big idea.
1: Yeah. So, as we're talking about biblicism, uh, one of the things that's coming to mind here uh, you know, we talk about sola scriptura as uh, Reformed Christians and the five solas of the Reformation. How is biblicism? different from Sola Scriptura. Are they
0: different? Th- you're, you're reading people's minds right now, even through podcasting. Yes. So Channeling. that is going to be the objection. You're, that's very uh, apostolic of you. Uh, <laughs> you're anticipating the objection that someone is going to have between Romans 5 and Romans 6, uh, but it's a different kind of objection. And that would be the typical pushback. Wait a second. What about Sola Scriptura? We believe that the Bible is sufficient and we do. Yeah. But the reformers didn't mean, uh, by sola scriptura, scripture alone, they, in the sufficiency of scripture alone, they certainly did not mean uh, that we shouldn't read other books mm. or we shouldn't pay attention to history. And we know that they didn't mean that. Uh, just read Calvin, for example, and he's quoting Augustine so many times, it's not even funny. Right. Uh, sometimes disagreeing, but for the most part, agreeing. Uh, not to mention, he he references Jerome and Gregory the Great and Irenaeus and Tertullian and Origen and Ambrose and Ignatius, Justin Martyr, uh, and the list goes on and on. Again, not always positive, but a fair amount of the time he's he's showing where he's in agreement. Uh, he's not making the stuff, he, stuff up. He's not the first person to draw the conclusions he's drawing. In effect, he's saying, you guys are the ones who are are in the wrong. Uh, He's pointing the finger at Rome, if you will, and he's being more biblical. Hmm. But if he were a biblicist, he wouldn't be referencing Augustine. Um, He wouldn't be paying attention to those who've gone before him and using their language and and affirming their conclusions where he can. Uh, But where they're wrong, he, he calls them out for that as well. Sure. Maybe I can be clear about something regarding that, and that would be that what they are saying by Sola Scriptura is is that it alone is inspired revelation. Hmm. So Rome claims new revelation from right. God yeah. and he, and the, the reformers, and we would say, "Oh oh no, you didn't." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not receiving new revelation. The canon is closed, right. uh, and the scripture alone is the Word of God. Uh, not not what comes to the pope by supposed uh, divine fiat or something like that. So that's what they mean by divine revelation, uh, sola scriptura, sufficiency of scripture. But what they're not denying is the work of the spirit in the lives of the people from the past. And that's why they reference all of these other theologians and learn from them. And so we want to affirm Sola Scriptura. Absolutely. uh, But in that sense, in the biblical sense, I should also say they're also not only opposing Rome, but they're opposing uh, the radical Anabaptists, uh, those who, you know, basically would be like today's charismatics. Again, claiming new revelation, and they're saying, no, there isn't any. Right, uh, But it, Scripture alone is sufficient and the ultimate authority that judges everything.
1: Gotcha. So if we're going to read Scripture with that in mind, that it is the ultimate authority, it's God's revelation to us, it's closed, and we're not going to be biblicists and set history aside, uh, it seems like we're getting to an alternative, and we want to not just say, hey, don't be a biblicist. What's the alternative to biblicism that we should be... Uh, About What are we advocating for here?
0: What we're advocating is, we can put it in different ways, but as uh, others have said it, I'm going to say it, we want to read the Bible, and we want to interpret the Bible, not alone, but we want to read the Bible with the church. It's such a great way to put it. And what we don't mean is uh, this local church only. We mean we want to read the Bible with the church today, the church yesterday, and by doing so, we're going to be reading the Bible with the church tomorrow so we're not doing it in, in we're not doing it in isolation yeah so what are the conclusions that others have drawn before us and the spirit has led them in yeah. and so that's what we mean let's read the bible with the church we might call that confessional christianity hmm. so confess means agree so we want to agree with other christians yeah. uh past present and future locally and Worldwide, So confessional Christianity is, is a good label that we can use. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means we're going to say we're, we're going to adopt a historic Protestant confession. Sure. It has history. It has traction. Uh, it has blood, sweat and tears involved. And we can benefit from uh, those who have gone before us. Yeah.
1: And such a. An, uh, not easier is the wrong word, but such a safer maybe way to read the scriptures because you have kind of boundaries. When you have the confession, you're able to check even yourself and what you're understanding from the Bible. Because if you come up with some new novel understanding of a passage and you don't see that anywhere in a confession or in a creed or in history, then you know you have a problem. So you, it's, it's yes. super helpful to be reading alongside those things, to be reading with the church, as you said.
0: So I appreciate the fact that you said it, it creates good boundaries. Uh, and I agree wholeheartedly, good boundaries color within these lines. But I also think it provides a certain freedom. For example, in our local church, people have the freedom to color within the lines. They don't have to know what I think about every single passage in Scripture in order for us to be unified, we're unified because we agree with a certain confession. And so if you're teaching a certain class, color within those lines and you're free to do so. Yeah. So I really appreciate the boundaries, but the boundaries are also very freeing Yeah. and they're very, um, helpful in having us again, not act like a cult because we certainly wouldn't want to do that. Yeah.
1: I think that has been helpful for us here at the local church level to have a confession, to be able to give to our leaders, our teachers and say, do you uh, agree with this? And when they say yes, then we are free to give them a opportunity to teach within those boundaries, as you're saying. And that's, that's been helpful for us to be able to equip our leaders and our teachers with the confession, give them some guidelines in what has been taught over history and then kind of turn them loose as you will.
0: I think one objection when we start talking about confessions is going to be that someone's going to think to themselves or say, or object by saying, but I've seen them abused. I've seen them used wrongly yeah. and we would agree, Yeah. but the Bible has been abused and used wrongly as well. So, um, It is what it is, and used in the best sense if somebody's going to use the Belgic Confession or the Westminster Confession or the 1689 London Baptist Confession, uh, all of these things can can get out of hand and be misused or abused, but that's true with anything, and so we do want to remember that the Bible alone is God's uh, ultimate inspired authority, but our confessions actually affirm that, Mm. Uh, and so... They should complement one another. The Bible is above. Even yes. the confession says it's above. Right, right. Not under. Uh, but we're, we put down in writing the things uh, that we think the Bible means by what it says. And so we can find agreement uh, on that level.
1: Yeah. Maybe we could uh, finish up with uh, some recommended resources uh, that our listeners might be interested in learning a little bit more about reading the Bible along with the church, creeds, confessions. You have any resources you might recommend? I, there's a new book out by John
0: Fesco called The Need for Creeds Today, and so I would recommend that. It's a simple, easy access, might be a good for a small group as well. Carl Truman has written a book not very long ago called The Creedal Imperative, which is a little bit more detailed, a little bit tougher read, but certainly accessible. And so I think those two books really complement one another. Uh, we have a, a confession that we use here at the church, which has an introduction that I've written that is geared toward people uh, who come out of a biblicist kind of background and that kind of frown on creeds and confessions. And so we can make that accessible because uh, again, geared toward people like us, if you will. And maybe one final book uh, that's the largest of the ones I'm recommending would be called the shape of sola scriptura, the shape of sola scriptura by Keith Matheson. Uh, And that's very similar when it comes to its perspective, just a little bit more detailed. He contrasts sola scriptura with solo scriptura, Hmm. and so it's a fascinating read by Keith Matheson.
1: Good. Well, we'll make sure to put links to those resources in the show notes, and I think, hey, you know, we seem to have solved the problem of Biblicism. We've done what we came here to accomplish, so it would behoove us to not step in it <laughs> to, to <not. laughs> or start gossiping because I'm right. drinking too much coffee. Right. Well, we want to thank you for joining us today. See you next time.